0: Across the UK, Overnights, with Martin Kellner. There is a place I'd give the world to see Where the music's softly playing And the rhythm's gently swaying Underneath the stars in a million bars Guitars are softly saying. Yep, that's where we're going now, uh, Campeche in Mexico. And, uh, let's welcome, uh, John Bonfilos to the show. Uh, John, thanks, uh, ever so much for
1: joining us. No problem at all, Martin. It's my regular Friday evening. What else would I be doing?
0: What else indeed? And it's a, it's always a pleasure and a delight and uh, not in any way to be is it overrated, I want to say, or underrated? I can't remember. Whichever it is, it's the good one. Uh, and it's, it's really good <laughs> to talk to you. Tell me, uh, first of all, about, I mean, this is a sort of colonial story, um, about uh, France invading Mexico over a disagreement uh, regarding cakes. Tell, tell me about that bizarre story. Yeah, well, look,
1: I, uh, it's one of those things that, you know, whenever there's an anniversary, uh, it's one of those things we come around to, obviously, with it being an anniversary, every 12 months, every year. Mm. And every April in Mexico, we have this this recurrence, this remembering of the Mexico, France pastry slash cake war of uh, 1838. History, Martin, was invented for stories like this. Yeah. It's absolutely brilliant. Uh Look, it, it's a really obscure historical event, which basically has been given ongoing relevance just by its name. Uh, to make sense of it, we have to go back to Mexico of 1838, independent uh, uh, country, but you know, h- hugely lawless. Into this lawlessness, uh, there's a number of uh, you know foreign citizens, uh, some on a foreign employ, some trying to carve out an economic niche, and a number of them are suffering from criminal behavior, from robbery, theft, and those kinds of things, you know, the thin end of that wedge. And they try and get redress from the Mexican government, but the Mexican government isn't having any of it and also doesn't have the power to do anything about it. So these citizens from different countries start to seek redress in their own personal governments. Into this situation steps uh, a gentleman, a French gentleman called Monsieur Remontel, who had a restaurant in Mexico City, and he declared an assault on his pastry supply uh, to the tune of sixty thousand pesos, which would be exorbitant now, but at the time was almost unbelievable. So I think we can also safely say that perhaps that wasn't, you know, a, an actual uh, verifiable pastry supply which was uh, thieved. But anyway, the point is this becomes a national incident for France. It really enters the the public consciousness. And of course, you know, what do the French do? Well, they launch a military blockade across the entire eastern seaboard. Of Mexico. Actually, it wasn't just about that. Mexico had uh, defaulted on a number of loans as well that the French had uh, had given them. Hmm. But basically, yeah, Mexico takes the whole eastern seaboard of of Mexico, and then this figure of General Santa Ana, which I mean, I guess outside of Mexico, a little bit obscure, but he was the the disgraced official uh, who lost Texas to to Mexico. So he decides that this is an opportunity to. To take back his name and he steps in to defend the Eastern Seaport, in particular city of Veracruz, only as he's approaching with his armed forces, his leg gets blown off by cannon fire. But in a moment of genius, he sees the political opportunity in this and he decides to bury his leg, his leg with (laughs) full military honors. And in one act then becomes a national hero all over again. I mean, you couldn't make this stuff up eventually the English broker a deal and uh, the French leave. But yeah, every April, the France-Mexico Limey. pastry war of 1838 comes back into the public consciousness.
0: How bizarre. I mean, you could make it up, but it would be in Monty Python's Flying Circus if you if, you,
1: really if, would. if you were really make, would. Yeah? Especially the leg. Especially the he leg. He buries
0: his leg. Buries <laughs> yeah. his leg. Amazing. Now, um, there's another quite bizarre story. Uh, Ten years ago, uh, blueberries didn't exist in Peru. Uh, but now, Peru is apparently uh, the world in fact i think i 've seen uh, blueberries from um, peru uh, they 're now the world 's largest exporter of uh, of blueberries, yeah. which are supposed to be very good for you
1: remarkably um, yeah i 'm sure you have a a blueberry on a, a midweek evening <laughs> uh, market to thin the blood, but yeah, they are the biggest international exporter of blueberries and the third biggest uh, producer in internationally after the u s uh, and and China and as you say 10 years ago blueberries just did not grow in in Peru but there was a, it was viewed as being an economic uh, opportunity i mean partly they didn't they didn't grow because the, the, the flat hot coastal region of Peru which is where they grow now um was was not deemed to be uh suitable perhaps the blueberries more suited to the andes but actually these these individuals who decided to to experiment with certain varieties of uh genetic uh varieties of blueberries decided that they were going to try and um uh, make it work. So they they engineered some uh, some varieties. Now, actually, interestingly, they're all grown in in pots and not in the ground because the soil isn't suitable for um uh, for growing. But also, what was really cunning about this was the fact that they spotted that in the Americas there was a niche because in in August of every year, blueberries from North America get sold right across the region and internationally. And then in December, you get Chilean blueberries. So anybody who produced blueberries between September and November was going to achieve top dollar for them. Also, international demand has gone up uh, two times in the last uh, 10 years. So they started uh, planting blueberries and it's grown and grown and grown, replacing grapes, cotton, uh, asparagus Mm. and so on. And it is a huge good news story for Peru and Peru's farmers.
0: Yeah, I mean, like I say, whoever's doing the PR for blueberries is doing a fan- is doing a fantastic job because um, it's one of those superfood things, isn't it? You know, all of a sudden they say, oh yeah, blueberries. Um, you mentioned it, thin thin your blood or whatever, you know, whatever's going wrong with you, blueberries will um, will solve it. But you need you know you need that PR campaign. Um, you need somebody like Delia Smith to suddenly say, Oh yeah, you want to all be eating blueberries. Yeah.
1: You need to know you need something before you dis- decide to, to, uh, de- de- desire it and go out and purchase it Precisely. in, uh, in sways.
0: Yeah. Well, we, we produce, uh, rhubarb in Wakefield. Um, it's the rhubarb capital of the United Kingdom. Forced rhubarb. Um, it's it's not cruel to force the rhubarb, but that's what they do, and uh, that's also supposed to be quite good for you. It says high in fibre, apparently. But um, yeah, and, they...
1: and that's really interesting because when I first came to Mexico twenty five years ago, uh, rhubarb did not exist in Mexico, and it was brought in illicitly. There were people who would bring in rhubarb from uh, from the UK, and there was a sort of a semi black market in it for people <laughs> in the know. That's changed now, but yeah, the rhubarb was one of those rhubarb and sausages. Yeah, uh, good sausages. 25 years ago, were things that you would have to seek out uh, from uh, yeah men in strange corners of car parks, <laughs> or not necessarily men, individuals, individuals in strange corners of car parks, uh, and pay quickly in cash and then move on.
0: Yeah. Well, if ever, you, you know, you're short and you need some rhubarb, let, let me know, because we've got tons of it in Wakefield. We love it. Um, and just finally, you know, on a sporting um, aspect, Brazil has just held its uh, Indigenous uh, Olympics. Uh, tell me about that. Um, I suspect beach volleyball, not a huge event for the Indigenous Olympics.
1: No, no beach volleyball, more dart blowing, archery, of course. Uh, tug of war, which I guess you'd think of as strange, but actually tug of war is one of those sort of sports, I think, that goes back, uh, you know, thousands of years. You put some, some individuals in a, in a field together, give them some rope, and what are they going to do? Pull on it. Yes. Of um, course. wrestling, <laughs> yes, yeah, well, uh, wrestling, uh, called uka uka in, uh, in Brazil and a log carrying relay race, which I've seen pictures of and actually does, you know, these are not small logs. Uh, that are carried and then handed. You know, you, you think about the, you know, four by four hundred, the four by one hundred, and you, you hand over a small bit of wood. Uh, this is not that kind of thing. The first Indigenous Games of Peruiba in, in Brazil happened last weekend, two days uh, over the weekend. 120 athletes from the Guarani, the Tupi Guarani, and the, the Funio communities, um, and yeah, it was a massive success. Also, I think interesting because not just was it a success locally, but actually, if you Google. Uh, Brazil Indigenous Games or Olympics, it's all over the media. So it's also had, considering it's only had 120 athletes, a really successful marketing campaign, uh, which which run, ran alongside it. And what this, I think, reveals a little bit is that sort of the, the political truth underscoring it, is, which is that April, for many years, has been Brazil's Indigenous Awareness Month. But actually, during the Bolsonaro uh, administration, it sort of almost fell off the face of the earth. But it's been revived under the Lula regime. And a lot of support has been pumped into it. In fact, Bolsonaro famously said that indigenous communities were better off joining the whites as a single nation and had little time for them. So this is a very much a re-emergence of uh, indigenous identity. And actually, that's the point, really, is that it's actually not so much to do with sport. It's to do with, you know, this sort of uh, veneration of um, indigenous identity and history and society.
0: Yeah, excellent. Was well, it's, uh, it's progress there. Uh, under Lula, thank you uh, ever so much, uh, John. Uh, do appreciate it, and uh, we'll talk again next week.
1: No problem. Take care.
0: Good man. There we go. John Bonfilio joining us from Campeche in Mexico.